back to basics. It might seem a bit, well, not strange, but uh, out of them suddenly come up with um, turning the other cheek and going the extra mile. I did think of changing this, actually, um, but no, I thought, well, well, we'll keep it at that because it is quite fundamental to our faith. And I've heard a few things recently on these verses, the part of the Sermon on the Mount, um, which I, I, I kind of used to agree with and now I don't. Um, and I'll explain it as we go through. So if you've got your Bibles or if we can stick it on the screen, I'm not sure if we can because I'm not coming back and forgetting everything. I've not been a, um, very, very well prepared in here, but I have got my notes. Uh, so well, let's first read um, Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 31. I always have trouble with the book of Luke. Um, coming from the north of England, it's, uh, it's quite hard. I remember when I first came down uh, here. I'm in trouble with the microphone as well. Um, when I first came down here, we got a bit confused, and I announced once that I was talking to the... Uh, I was uh, reading from the book... Uh, what was it? The, 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 the book of Luke. And I was like, that's not in the Bible. The book of Luke. That's, that's not a good theology. Anyway... Um, Here we go. Verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And then if we turn to Matthew chapter 5, which is the parallel passage, it's slightly, slightly longer. Um, and it's verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That last verse um, is actually paralleled in Luke 26, which is before the other passage. And it says, be merciful as your Father is merciful. Interesting. I'll go back to the uh, to the turn in the cheek and the extra mile in a moment. But um, the Greek word for perfect um, actually has several different meanings in the um, in the Bible. Um, and when we talk about perfection um, in a in a kind of theological sense, we're t- thinking of God. And some people get hung up on 
Several verses actually in the Bible are different, different things where it seems really absolute. Be perfect as I am perfect. We know we can't be perfect as God wants us to be perfect. Otherwise, there would have been no reason, no reason to send Jesus. We'd be able to attain perfection. Um, we'd be able to work our way to heaven. And we can't do that. None of us can do that. So Jesus came because he could and he paid the price for us. So that we don't have to be perfect, we have to take on his perfection, and God sees that. But what he's saying here is, the word, it's, it's kind of, it's talking more about being complete, being mature, right? And he's talking about our development as Christians. So, of a mature, now, we've talked about maturity before, and what it means to be spiritually mature. One way that we can be immature is as we get older, um, and we went. We actually went. Uh, we got Karen, Jill's sister, my daughter, Hans' daughter. I always say my daughter and Hans says that sounds like, you know, you've got another daughter somewhere else, and I wasn't the mother. Um, but here, and, and Karen kindly took us to uh, Cafe Newt yesterday, um, which I, I, I think is great, and it's only like over the road from where we live now. So we went to Cafe Newt, and. I've always gone in the back because I've usually got the dogs with me and they don't like you going in the foodie bit and, and then into the, the motorcycle bit at the front. But we didn't, so I had a little wander around the motorbikes. And, you know, fantastic, you know, 25 grand motor goosies and things like that. I think, wow, this is really great, you know. Now, I'm not into bikes, but I could appreciate, you know, what they look like and, and, and all that kind of thing. Um, there wasn't anything there um, that was under kind of like five grand, which is a second-hand old put put kind of thing um but you know you've got these 1200 cc bikes and all kinds of stuff so super bikes um some of them you know i don't know they're just they're just huge but the thing i noticed while i was in there there wasn't anybody there under about 50 looking at the bikes there was a whole load of men one or two women all wandering around going oh oh like this Maybe because they're a certain age that they can afford to buy a bike that much and the kids can't. Um, but they're kind of wandering around and got all their old leathers on and, you know, reliving their past and whatever. And uh, it, it struck me this. I thought, what's going on here? I've been reading a few things about having a midlife crisis, you know. It's not really... It's kind of like you get to a mature age, but there is a bit of you that kind of thinks, well, I can buy a pickup truck. I did actually once, um, and I can do this, that, and the other. I can, oh, well, you know, I look all right in skinny jeans and things like this, you know, for for men. I'm not thinking personally. Um, these are slightly stretchy. The Marks and Spencers, yeah. really naff, you know. And um, that's not maturity, you know. That's kind of like taking a step backwards. It's like you suddenly decide. Well, I'm going to give up. I, I, it makes me sad when I see sometimes Christians giving up. Um, they're serving the Lord and everything, and they go and live forever in the Channel Islands or Spain or wherever. Um, I was going to say Madrid, but that's in Spain. Um, you know, they, they, and, and they kind of retire as Christians, and they just say, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be an expat. And, you know, it makes me a bit sad um, to see that suddenly happen, to give up. And it's the same for ladies. I mean... Um, I know it's diverse slightly, but did anyone see Strictly last night? Well, uh, were we watching Strictly or were we watching a recording of it? We were watching it. Debbie McGee? Right? Now, okay, 
She's not my type, but she dances pretty well. Can anybody tell me what the similarity between Debbie McGee and a Barbie doll is? <laughs> Apart from the hair. You should move her legs back and Barbie doll. That's probably true, yeah. They're the same age. They're both 58. And Mattel have brought out three new Barbie dolls uh, to celebrate uh, Barbie's 58th birthday. Um, the first one is um, Facelift Barbie. And you, um, she's kind of all a bit saggy and everything, but if you grab the back of her hair and pull a, a string, it makes her face go up. She looks like a Cheshire cat when you're finished. The other one is uh, Hot Flush Barbie. You fill it, with, fill it with water, press a button, it heats up, it glows in the dark, and sweats a lot. Okay. And then, uh, this is familiar to some people. Uh, and then, uh, finally, you've got Divorce Barbie. Um, now, Divorce Barbie is really expensive. It's about 200 quid. But it does come with Ken's boat, Ken's house, and Ken's car. All right. That's not true, by the way, that last bit. I've lost my track. No, um, it's about being mature, all right? It's about being really, truly mature as a Christian. And maturity is kind of one of those things where we move forward on different fronts and different things. But essentially, what he's saying here is, these things that I'm telling you, you know, offer your other cheek when someone slaps you. It sounds a bit stark, doesn't it? A little bit, ooh, you know, like when people mistreat you, when people try to take you to court or try to steal from you or whatever. What does it matter in the end? What does it matter in terms of the kingdom? What does it matter in terms of eternity? Now, we'll get back to people taking advantage of you in a minute. There was a point a few years back where these verses were interpreted slightly different, and I think it's an error, and I just wonder if anybody thinks of this interpretation, I think we need to kind of correct it, because I found that actually, being me, quite attractive, because there was an interpretation of these verses which just said that things like um, trying to put them into context, but over-contextualizing them, and sometimes adding a little bit of our modern thought onto something that was like going on 2,000 years ago. So people would say, walking the extra mile. Well, that may or may not relate to the Roman soldiers could make you walk a mile with their gear and carry it. I believe that's true. It may relate to this story or not. doesn't matter, but say, say it does. <clears throat> and the idea that came across was, well, if you walk the extra mile, you'll get them in trouble. You'll get the Roman soldier in trouble. You'll get, them, get the person who's forcing you to do that because they can only make you walk a mile. And there's this kind of um, attitude which is not there. It's not a loving attitude. It's not an attitude that is a kingdom attitude. I don't know if anyone's heard that. I also heard, I heard this actually said quite recently, and again, I, I know I would disagree with it, but at the time, it was quite appealing. Um, and it can be quite appealing to us about slapping on the cheek, slap on the right cheek, you know. Well, no, offer them your other cheek, because the only way you can slap with your right hand on the other cheek, I think, is to slap them, uh, sorry, slap them with the right hand at the back of your hand. That's how you'd slap a servant. But force them to slap you as an equal on the other cheek. 
and embarrass people because of the customs and that at the time. Now, there's that kind of dumb insolence type of thing, uh, which I think we call it passive-aggressive now, you know, where it's kind of fostering an attitude. It kind of comes from a sort of muscular Christianity. We're going to have dominion over the world, blah, blah, blah. That's not Jesus' way. That's the way of the world. That's using the world's attitude. And if anyone's ever heard that, which I think some of you had because you're nodding, um, or I one or both of those things, I don't think that's right. I think what this is talking about is talking about growing up and finding the things of the world actually don't matter that much. It says several times here, we're just talking about, well, Jesus in Matthew talks about do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, slap on the right, left. Want your shirt, give me a coat. Anyone force you to go a mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks and don't turn them away, the one who wants to borrow from you. Then he says, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. It's a whole different attitude. It's going from, if you like, the dumb insolence, the, the passive-aggressive, or even the aggressive-aggressive, right the way through to not just putting up with it, but actually not exactly welcoming someone beating you or someone forcing you to do something, but doing it and counting it all joy, like it says in the Scriptures. The other way is also quite a legalistic way. It's kind of saying, if you do this, you'll get that. And it's kind of, it's trying to really go back to the law. It's been a bit religious. Um, the entire law, as, uh, as uh, Paul says in Galatians, uh, Galatians 5, is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. This is what it's about. It's about loving your enemies. It's about loving your neighbors. It's about loving one another, actually, because we can occasionally come up against one another and kind of annoy one another or do something that we don't like. Mahatma Gandhi said, an eye for an eye only ends up making the whole world blind. It's true, isn't it? Making the whole world blind. Because it's about, in the end, I want me. I want to stand up for my rights. Incidentally, for anybody that is here that doesn't know, we call our church members, if you like, partners, for that very reason. Because members have rights. If you are a member of a club, there's a set of uh, you know, if you're the member, you can do this or whatever. You have certain rights if you're a member of a political party. But partners share in what's going on. Partners actually have responsibilities. So we decided right at the beginning that we would call our members partners. And that's written into all our documents, actually, as partners. We act in love. We see the bigger picture. We see the long-term aim. These things are alien to the world. The, the world says, you know, uh, I think it says, was it The Untouchables, the film, you know, where um, you, you, you hurt one of ours, we maim one of yours. You wound one of ours, we kill one of yours. You know, it escalates. That's what the world does, hit back harder. You know, and it's all right for adventure films and things like that. 
But in real life, that causes, well, causes all the trouble in the world, doesn't it? But the topsy-turvy kingdom, which we talked about so much, the kingdom of God, is the one that does the opposite to what naturally we would be inclined to do. So loving your enemies falls right in that category, falls right into that, that, that um, way of thinking. And how do we do that? Well, we become mature in the Lord. We grow in the Lord. We spend time with the Lord. We see how the Lord does things, how Jesus did things. We die to ourselves. Matthew 10, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. It's about self-sacrifice. It's about giving up our stuff. It's giving up our rights. Paul says, sorry, Luke also says, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will preserve it. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, he's talking to the Christians here as well. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? The best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others, whether they're Christians, whether they're not, whether they're your enemies even. The Lord will present opportunities. He won't let us get trodden down. I have a thing about, forgive me if you have this, fish cards on business, fish, fish marks on business cards. Because that's saying, I'm a Christian, give me the job anyway, to me. Now, I might be a bit cynical about that. I won't give a job to a Christian. I'll give a job to the person who's doing a good job. But that should actually be a Christian. Because we're representing the Lord when we go the extra mile, we're doing it because we're doing it for the Lord. We're doing it to demonstrate, and not in a conscious way necessarily, certainly not in a conscious way we can. We're doing it to demonstrate that we're Christians. We love the Lord, that we want to do a good job for the sake of doing a good job. We're getting paid the same as everybody else. But actually, we will stay on that five minutes, that half an hour, whatever we need to do at work to finish the job. We won't stand around talking and charging for the time that, we've, uh, paid, that we're being paid when we're putting some plumbing in. I say that because that's happened to me more than once. Um, I do my own plumbing now. Um, but people shouldn't be looking at us. I've probably told this story to one or two people before. I remember being at work one day, and I, I was a contractor, so I, I, was, I didn't know everybody's history. Um, in the office, but there was a guy there who stood out as being the most lovely, scruffy actually, but slovenly in his work, really poor. People complained about him all the time. And he came to, I think he was retiring, he may have been, couldn't tell how old he was, you know, he could have been really decrepit or he just been a young person gone to seed, but um, he was saying, you know, goodbye to everybody, and they had a little presentation. Didn't get much money, but they had a little presentation to him, and he gave a little speech. And I was kind of standing 
a little bit further back from the others because, as I say, I was a contractor. I wasn't an employee, so I was um, just listening to what was going on. And the guy starts off and he says, well, I'll be leaving. And me and my wife are going to take up full-time Christian ministry in this, that, and the other. And I was just dying inside. I thought, oh, Lord. Now, I'm not judging the man. I am a bit, but I'm not judging him in the sense of condemning him. Well, that should never be... It should never be our bag. We should never, you know, have people say things about us in that way. We can have people say things about us, you know, uh, Holy Joe or whatever they say, whatever, because sometimes people have a thing about Christians. Some people are really genuinely interested. But the best accolade people can say is, well, I don't agree with you. In effect, they're your enemy. But I tell you what, you've done a good job. I'd have you any time work for me. And I would have anybody who does a good job over a Christian who does a bad job. You know? I wouldn't have anybody, in fact, that does a bad job. Wonderful of the Christians. It would be great if I could always say, well, they're a Christian. They must be going to do a good job for me. You know? And the other thing is, again, I, I have a principle. I will not take a discount from a Christian because I'm a Christian. Which is fine. If, you, if they want to give it and you want to take, that's no problem. But I think workman's worth his wages. Think about it. Anyway, I diverse again, or divert myself. Paul says uh, in two, sorry, two Corinthians, two Thessalonians. Oh, that's another point. There's a, there's a verse in the Bible where we often say we're, we're ambassadors for Christ. Actually, that's a little bit out of context, but we are. You know, it's still true. Um, ambassadors for Christ. Paul is talking to Christians there, saying that he. And Silas, I think it was, or who his, his companions are, were ambassadors to Christ to you. Uh, so we're, we're representing Jesus to you in what we're saying. But there's lots of verses talking about being worthy um, of, of uh, what we've got here, um, which, is the, which is the Lord in our hearts and showing himself. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power... He may bring to fruition every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. That's in 2 Thessalonians. Thessalonians. Um, and in Ephesians 4 it says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So we are ambassadors. Um, we're urged throughout the scriptures. Actually, it could have taken any one of a dozen verses there. We're urged to be worthy of the calling to show people we're Christians, we love the Lord, we are not thinking of ourselves as a cut above everybody else, but quite naturally, because we throw ourselves into everything, and we do it ultimately for the Lord, you're going to get a good job. You're going to get someone who will go the extra mile or two. Now, word of caution. The Lord is not asking us to be stupid, all right? He's not asking us to be everybody's doormat. He's saying, think about these things. Become mature. And part of being mature is we become aware of when someone is trying it on. You know, we run a lot of things in town, food bank, people come in to open door for different things. And we know some people try it on. We try to be on the generous side. But there are some people who, no matter what, will try and take advantage. 
There are some bosses who always try and take advantage. Now, bearing in mind that we're not looking for our own rights. In fact, we're looking to promote the rights of other people. We're looking to represent the poor, represent the downtrodden. And that's where the Lord blesses us, the Lord rewards us. But it says in uh, verses, you know, in Matthew 10, um, verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Notice, as witnesses. Not be brought before them for whatever reason. Whatever reason you are brought before people, you're there as a witness. It's how we conduct ourselves. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Let me give you an example. Some years back, quite some years back, there was a guy who we had some, in, uh, some input into quite a lot. And we, we loved this guy. He was, a, he was a, an ex-prisoner, um, ex, ex-offender. Um, he spent most of his life in prison. <clears throat> By the way, it's nobody who comes to this church now. It's no one who ever came to this church. It's, uh, it's, it's another guy from years back. And we, we used to visit him in his, uh, in his place and everything. And there came a time when he had to move house. And he had... Um, he had no money, um, and he'd been great. We'd known him probably, what, about three, four years? And, you know, he was, he, was, he, was, he was a really nice guy. Anyway, he came to need a deposit for a flat, and we thought to ourselves, if we give him a deposit for the flat, he will basically go and take it and, you know, steal it or use it or whatever. But we felt it was the right thing to do. So I told the pastor of our church, and he said, you know he's going to steal it. And I said, quite probably, but I think it's the right thing to do. It's a few hundred pounds. So we didn't give it to him. We actually paid it direct to the agent. Less than a month later... He decided to, well, he, he cancelled his, he paid his rent up to date, cancelled the, the thing and took the deposit and disappeared. We weren't taken in by that. We knew what we were doing. We took the risk. Other cases, maybe we wouldn't do that because we didn't feel it's right. It's what the Lord's saying, but we need to be wise. That's all I'm saying. You know, we're told to be wise, not to be stupid, to be considered in the way in which we do things because the world will try and take advantage of us. That's the way the world does things. We should never try and take advantage of one another, by the way. Um, that's the way the world does things as well. But be considered. Realise what you're doing. And you know if you make a mistake, but your hearts are right, the Lord counts that as credit to us. It doesn't say, well, that was a really stupid thing to do. You know, you gave someone some money or whatever. 
And we try to be wise. We, try and we don't give money to people. We pay for things for them when, you know, through open door and everything. Because we're being wise, because we know it'll end up in their arm or up the nose sometimes. We know that the money will get spent on a TV or something that they don't desperately need instead of food in some cases. So it's being wise as well, along with all of that other stuff. It doesn't negate that. It's about, again, growing up. It's about being mature. It's about having a faith that is workable, that is demonstrating the love of God to the world, that's extending the kingdom of God. It's a conscious decision. And it's a conscious decision to put others first and to forget about ourselves. And eventually it becomes part of us. And you know what? The scripture promises, and I know this from experience, we never lose out. We might be poorer materially sometimes, but we never lose out in our hearts, in our spirits, in the relationships that we have. And we never lose out in a spiritual sense. It's about having a pure heart. It's having a heart that isn't corrupted by the world, or less and less so as time goes on. And that's maturity again. It's growing up in the Lord. It's also not entirely up to us. It's putting ourselves in the right place. It's said about the Holy Spirit will give us the right things to say. The Holy Spirit will give us the strength, it's said in one of the other scriptures. Quoting Mahatma Gandhi again, I know to banish anger altogether from one's breast is a difficult task. It cannot be achieved through pure personal effort. It can be done only by God's grace. You know, remember God's grace? God's grace is far more than just a word of just gracious. It's God's power to do what he wants us to do. But it's a quiet power. It works in the opposite way to what the world works. It's that power that suddenly it happens. And we thought all was lost. It happens in the quiet whisper. It happens when we look away and there it is. It doesn't come with the mighty rushing wind or the big flame of fire. It comes quietly. It never comes too late. And it's just right. The Lord changes the circumstances. He changes the heart of someone. When it's gone way past where we think it's retrievable, a miracle happens. That's what grace is. That's God's power to do what we can't do. But it's done in a way. Sometimes we just don't know. It's like when I go out with the dogs. I thought I'd mention the dogs because I haven't heard from them for a while. I can be walking along, and usually in the dark actually, take the dogs out for a walk. And I suddenly think, hang on, particularly Archie because he's pitch black. And I turn around and go, Archie, Archie, where, where's he gone? And he's standing about 10 yards in front of me. He slipped past me. I never even saw him. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He slips past you and he prepares the way. He's there in front of you. And you think, where did that come from? I thought it was behind me. It's a topsy-turvy kingdom of God once again. We can't get away from it. It's the opposite to what we think very often. It's the opposite to the way in which we naturally think. The tendency is to panic. 
and say, God will never do it, he'll never sort it out. But actually, if we take that wise way of deciding that I am not going to respond in the way the world's going to respond. I'm not going to, you know, figuratively speaking, I'm going to offer the other cheek. But I'm going to do it with knowledge. I'm not going to offer it to embarrass or to be aggressive in some quiet way. I'm going to offer it in, this, in love and say, I'm going to go back and you're going to have to punch me again, you know, because I love you and God loves you. That has more power, that ushers in the grace of God far more than going and saying, take that, <laughs> yeah, or taking the extra, walking the extra mile and then just saying, well, you made me do that. You know, I've got no alternative, have I? Our alternative is always to do what the Lord says and to see it work out through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Bless you. Just say, if there's anybody here who doesn't know the Lord, who hears these things and says, that's a bit confusing. I'm not sure I can live that life. I don't, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, why don't you come and have a word afterwards? You know? And maybe we can, um, maybe we can find the Lord together. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Amen.